All right. Well, again, we're so glad you are here with us. What a great Sunday uh, to be together as we are in December and we're seeing life change and we're celebrating all of that. And man, so much that we have been able to already see, be able to to see and and be a part of already uh, this morning. So just so grateful for all the ways I see God at work. And as we are in this season, we wanted to take a break from our series as we've been journeying through the Gospel of John and really focus in on the Christmas season. And, and the reason why we do that here at Riverbend is it's not because you don't know the Christmas story. Maybe you don't know it, but the majority of us know it to some degree. But it's important for our own souls and hearts to be anchored in what it is that we're truly celebrating but also who this Christ is, that we would be able to get a sense of what it is that he has done for us, and even what that very first Christmas looked like. And I I love for us to be able to take a step step back for us to be able to see very clearly, hey, how has God worked throughout history? And so Christmas time is a chance for us to do that. And so we're kicking off this series today that simply is called Christmas has come here. Christmas has come here. Let's say that out loud together. Christmas has come here. You can turn to your neighbor and tell them, Christmas has come here. And it's more than just the title of the sermon series, but it's also this truth and this reality that Christmas has come here. That Jesus has come here. As Eugene Peterson says, he's moved into the neighborhood. He's come to pursue each and every one of us. This is good news of great joy. And so as we're in this time of year, one of the things I wanted to do is to allow us to take some time to reflect together. And and so I've got a couple of questions, and I want you to participate with me on this, all right? So I'm going to allow you to share with us in this, and I want you to share in this uh, with us. So this isn't one of those things where you just kind of think about it, but just what comes to your mind, feel free to just say it out loud, okay? All right, I'm giving you permission, all right? I want to I make sure you know what's happening here. All right, so here, here's the first question. What makes Christmas so wonderful? Jesus Christ, you can't go wrong with that answer, right? Jesus Christ, amen, the reason for the season, right? I love it, I love it. What, what, what else makes it so wonderful? Family, okay. What's that? It's twinkle lights, okay, I like that, I like that. I... Music in the movies, all right, what else? Generosity. Food, I heard. What else? I'll go. I, I, new, new memories. Traditions. Giving gifts. What did you say over here? Time off work. I, I think I heard something else over here. What, what else? Mistletoe, yeah. <laughs> I love Dr. Jesse Velarde. Yes, folks. Delivering the goods, delivering the goods this Christmas season. What else? What else would you say makes it, makes it uh, good and so wonderful? Visits from loved, loved ones. Uh, snow. All right, I love it. Christmas music. I, I just uh, introduced my son on the way over here this morning to the Jackson 5 Christmas album, and boy, to watch his joy. <laughs> He was feeling it. He was vibing with it. He was like, yeah, yeah, Dad. Why you been holding out on me? Why you been holding out on me? I'm like, yeah, this is my son for sure. All right. 
Well, here's the next question. Here's the next question. What makes Christmas so difficult? Family. <laughs> yes. Family, expectations. What, what else? Snow, food. Someone said. Obligation, all the presents you are supposed to buy, though you want to buy them, right? The scale, right? The tail of the scale. All right, all right, I like that. What, what else? What's that? <laughs> Security, can you remove this man? He's being difficult today. He is being difficult. Taste this guy. Uh, what's it? Fruitcake. I like that, I like that. I think... For all of us, we, we could say uh, it's difficult also when we have to just acknowledge maybe the things in life aren't the way we want them to be. And maybe it's the people who aren't there that we want to be there, whether it's the loss of a loved one or whether it's a loss of a relationship or um, maybe it's even something that's going on within our own lives as far as our own, our own health. You know, there, there's all kinds of things for us. And I think it's important that we, we know that these both can be true, that there's something wonderful and difficult at the same time, right? Like, as we heard, right, these, these things can be, be true. And oftentimes what can happen is we can pretend it's all wonderful or it's all difficult. And it's seldom that, right? But there's this tension in Christ that we find, even in this Christmas story, where Jesus comes near to us, where we are. So as we begin our series today, here's what I really want us to, to hone in on, is that Christmas has come here, and Christ comes near to our joy and fear. He doesn't run away from either one of those things. You know, that Christmas has come here, and that Christ comes near to both the, the joy, the, the wonderful parts of life, but also our fears and our longings and the difficult part of it. He comes very near to those things. And I think it's important that we don't miss this because if we don't see Jesus for who he truly is, oftentimes we project on him our own image or whether the image of what we've heard in the church or the culture, but we are not seeing Jesus for who he truly, truly is. And so one of the things we want to do as we reflect in this season is we really want to journey again from that first Christmas and all the characters that were involved in it because they were experiencing a lot of the same things as far as what was joyful and also what was fearful, what was wonderful and difficult. And so we're going to be journeying through Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke, Luke 1, throughout this series. But one of the things that you're going to see as, as you hear the gospel of Luke unfold is that you're going to see these different characters that are involved but that historically, in this moment in time, that there had been 400 years of silence since the last time a prophet of God had spoken to the people of God. 400 years. That's a long time. 400 years. Just, they're waiting to hear, God, what are you doing? And from God, it's like radio silence. Just waiting. It's like, you know, you, you text a friend, and, and you're like, just waiting, you know, and you're like, oh, are you there? There, you know, and then you realize, oh, wait, I maybe have been ghosted, you know, right? Like, is that, and then maybe for them, that's what they felt like. They're like, hey, wait, you're absent. You're not here. Silence. Silence was there. There was also Roman rule and oppression. 
And they set up these different kings. King Herod, as we're going to see in just a, a few moments in Luke 1, was one of those. And he was not a nice guy. He was not. He was very paranoid, tyrannical, took out many, many, many children, many of the firstborn males, in order to protect his own interest as far as a king and kingdom that he had. This is happening during this time. And then you have the religious people, the religious leaders, who instead of helping people to God, they're hurting and hindering people to come to God. They're making it difficult. The religious leaders, the people who knew the Old Testament, they knew the Torah, they knew the law, they were making it difficult. And then there's a a group of people who were like, you know what, I know I'm Jewish, but I don't want anything to do with this. I'm going to walk away. I'm running away from what it is that God has for me. I I know these traditions, I know the Torah, but he's not involved in my life. I don't think any of us can relate to what they maybe are experiencing, right? No, we, we can. We can because that story, for many of us, is our own story. And we're experiencing things like that as well. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to jump in here. And Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named, what's his name here? Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, what's her name? Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So I want you to hear this characteristic of them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. In other words, they had a right posture heart-wise, and they were walking rightly with God. They were about His ways, right? Then they were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. In other words, they were people who had an integrated life to who God is and what it is that He had for them. Now, were they perfect people? No. That's not what the point of this is. But I want you to hear this description of who they are. Because it's easy to miss this. Because in the midst of many rebellious people, there was a remnant of people who said, we still believe. We still have trust in you, God. We still want what you want for us, Heavenly Father. We still want others to encounter and experience all that you have created us for and created them for. And we're going to join you in that. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are two of those characters. But it says this, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. And Dr. Luke is giving this description that's really important for us not to miss. He says of them that they were childless because Elizabeth was unable, was not able to conceive, and they were very old. And so you hear this longing, you hear this yearning, you hear this ache in their hearts. But I don't want you to miss this because for us, it may not be an ache that we are unable to get pregnant, but it may be another ache. 
But I also want you to hear that it wasn't that they had done something wrong and that's why they were unable to get pregnant. In other words, God wasn't displeased with them. Because oftentimes when suffering and difficulty and trials come into life, we make an assumption that God somehow must be disappointed with me. He must be punishing me. He must be disciplining me because of something I've done. But what it says about these people is, no, they actually were walking with God. They were doing what God had for them. And yet he was doing something deeper that they didn't understand. And that in their old age, they still had this desire, but they're like, man, we're past the point of being able to get pregnant. And that ache still was there. And I want you to hear this because so many of us, as we're trying to understand suffering and pain in life, I want you to know God has a purpose for it, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And we don't need to minimize it either. And we don't need to be the people who say, you must have done something. Or I must have done something. And that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for decisions and choices that are made. Of course. But God's way of correcting us, even in that, is never to shame us and to be removed from us, but to draw near to us. And if we do not see that, and if we do not get that, we will miss a major part of the Christmas story. So as we think about this, we're going to continue on here. I want you to think with me, and we're not going to have to, we're not going to have, you're not going to have to answer all this out loud, okay? All right, I just want to let you know, I know we did that through the beginning. But this week, I want you to be thinking, and in this season, I want you to be able to be honest about the following. Where in your life do you find sadness in this season? Where is sadness in this season for you? What are you longing for? And where do you want God to show up? And we need to be able to answer these questions because as we answer them, it gives us the ability to give God access to these areas that are not often communicated to him clearly because we don't know. But we know there's a sadness there. We know there's a longing. We know we want him to show up. But we're not sure exactly what it is that we're after. And then it allows us to have others that are safe and those trustworthy friends to join us in that as well. So as we continue on here, I wanted to give you some examples of of grief and sadness that would help you even to process this. And so I came across this, and I know it's difficult to read maybe from where you are, but I'll, I'll just read it to you. And this is from Dr. Caroline Leaf. And one of the things that she is helping others to understand is their own grief and their own pain points. And one of the parts of it is that death is a major factor, right? Death, we never want to minimize that. But oftentimes we may not realize that's only one form of grief, okay? And that's an important part. We want to acknowledge we need to grieve when someone passes away, right? That's really, really hard. It's difficult. We need to come alongside those when they've lost a loved one. But here's what she gives. Change in financial status, moving house, city, country, loss of relationship due to you prioritizing your healing and mental health, loss of a job, retirement, infertility, change in body size and shape, loss of health, divorce or breakup, loss of old habits that once provided something for you. And in your own life, I want you to be thinking about where are those grief points? Because for us to be able to process them is going to be key 
for us to allow Christ to come near. He's here already. We've, we've established that. But again, it allows us to have this type of language to be able to lament where we need to lament, where we need to let him in. Again, simultaneously, both joy and sadness can exist in Christ. He does not run away from our tears, right? The shortest verse in the Bible is that Jesus wept. And he wept because he lost someone who meant so much to him in Lazarus. And I've just recently come to the conclusion in my own thought about what would happen in that story is I'm not sure the father revealed to him that he was actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead till the moment that he did it. And so that sadness and that tear is actually the right response when loss happens and difficulty happens. So what is it for you? Where's that sadness? Where's that longing? Where do you want to see God show up? And so as we continue on here, it says this. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. They were, they were praying outside. And so what you're getting here is that there's 20 24 divisions that would serve uh, the Jewish people and in the temple. And as they would serve in the temple, they would each have a specific time twice a year, these, these different groups that would go in and serve. But once in a lifetime, a priest was able to go in and to burn the incense. And so he's burning the incense. This is like once in a lifetime. This, this, his time had come to do this. And as he's doing this, the incense is important because it represents the aroma that's going up to God, but it also speaks of praying for the people of God, to pray for the Jewish people, to, to be a people that is praying for the, the nation. And so it's, it's a way of, again, talking about interceding and praying in that way. And it says that all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And so you get a sense, this is a, a holy moment. God is at work. There's there's activity. There was this, this specific thing that was going on. But I don't want you to miss this. This is what Zechariah was called to. He was called to be a priest. And what's he doing? He's being a priest. <laughs> He's showing up. But didn't Zechariah have a longing? Didn't he want to have a child? Yes, and that's still true. And guess what he still did? He showed up. Even in his sadness. He showed up. He was faithful to what it is he was called to. So as we continue on here, I want you to see that our faith is seen by how faithful we are in the waiting. Our faith is seen by how faithful we are in the waiting. How faithful are you? And faithfulness is not about perfection. It's about a progress and process in our own lives of joining what it is that God has for us and saying yes to him and showing up where he's asking us to show up as he's doing a deep work within us. And faithfulness is often underrated, but it's one of the most important qualities. To show up for the people in your life, to show up for the places that God has brought you to, to show up and to be fully present, and to give yourself faithfully to that, 
that is the mark of true faith. And oftentimes we're caught up with what we don't have. But I want you to just be reminded that God is never going to ask how much you had. He's going to ask, what did I put in your hands and how faithful were you with what I put in your hands? But what about this person? They have this and I wish I had that. That's not his question for you. He's not going to ask, hey, what did you see on someone's highlight reel via Instagram and what they had and you're caught up in the comparison and coveting and getting jealous of that. He's going to say, hey, how faithful were you with what I put in your hands? And it's never about how much. It's really about will I choose to join you and what it is that you have for me? How faithful are you in the waiting? How faithful are you? Because you never know how God's at work with your faithfulness. You never know. And it's unsexy, and it's uncool, and it's unhip. But I'll tell you what, the older I get, the more I realize how important it is. But recently, I had a student, um, sorry, I wasn't planning to get emotional about this, who who, um, who was diagnosed, over two and a half years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. A former student where I served as a youth pastor uh, in, in last, last Thursday, um, she passed away, leaving behind two young children and her husband. And one of the things that struck me about all of this was the way her mom and dad would remind me of the role I played in her life. And because when she was a high school student, she had a specific struggle. And I won't go into what it was, but she had a specific struggle. And she would often come to meet with me to talk about this struggle. And we would have many, many conversations about it. And we would look at the scriptures together, and we'd, I would point her towards Jesus. But the beautiful thing about it is her family would come around her in that struggle. And then she would, and they would together, surrender over to Jesus and let him have access to her and to them in this area and all of her life. And she would go on to follow and pursue and be passionate about Jesus. In fact, I was at the viewing yesterday, and I was talking to somebody uh, that, that was going through her own cancer treatment. And they would go at the same time. She would, she would go for radiation, and, and this woman would go for chemo. And she would say afterwards, they would get together to talk about it. And she said her faith, this, this young woman, Sarah Jarrell, her faith, Sarah Kite is her married name. I knew her as Sarah Jarrell. Her faith was astounding. And, it, and it's not about how hard it was. She obviously didn't want this to be what was going on in her life. But her faith to say, Jesus, this is what you have for my life, and I'm trusting you that you're good in it. And I, I want you to hear this, not because the suffering and the pain is easy, but you never know how a seeds of faithfulness will turn into fruit of faithful living and faith in others that God brings to your path. And for me, I was this 23-year-old youth pastor and I didn't know what I didn't know. But I'm grateful for the goodness of God even in that. And I want you to just have eyes to see the faithful opportunities that await you. 
Because you don't know what God's up to in somebody else's life. And you don't know what somebody else is going through and the grief and the pain and the struggle that they're experiencing. But I do know this, when you're going through it, don't you want someone to have empathy and have eyes to see and to walk with you? What if we were the people who had eyes to see? And part of the way we have eyes to see is to be faithful, to show up again and again. Not to come save the day. We already got a Savior. We don't have to save the day. But just to say, Jesus, I want to join you in what it is that you have for my life. Again, how faithful are you in the waiting? We can remain faithful when we remember how faithful God has been. How faithful has he been? You know, and we could get up here again, and I could easily turn the mic over to you. Last week we did that. And we could do it. I have heard already from three people that were like, you could have let it go longer. People coming up and sharing. And no one was picked out ahead of time. I know someone like Matt Utesh says, hey, you know, you've had people free, maybe already you asked ahead of time. I didn't ask anybody. It was what the Spirit was already doing in people's lives. But I think it's important in this season that we remember how faithful has God been? How faithful has he been? How has he shown up? Are you declaring it? Are you telling it? Are you writing it down? Are you remembering it? Are you sharing it with your friends, your family? Are you letting people know, this is the God that's come near to me. This is the one who comes near to me in both my joy and my fear. Jesus, this is how faithful he's been. How faithful has he been to you? Well, it continues on here, and it says this. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And I just love this. It's, I love how Luke describes this. Because he's like, hey, you know what? This moment happened. Here comes the angel. He's right at the right side of the, the incense here, the altar. And Zacharias gripped with fear. He's like, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. And think about that. Think about what kind of prayers he's been praying and how long he's been praying. And he says, hey, God has heard your prayer. And your wife, who's old, as it said beforehand, she is going to give you a son. You're going to call him John. Listen to how it describes him. It goes on to say this here. It says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And as you, you hear what's being said here, it's, it's important that we don't miss it. John is going to be a front runner, a forerunner. He's going to go ahead of Jesus. In John 1 through 3, we see this play out. So if you want to study John's life more, you get to see this really play out. He's preparing the way of the Lord, but he's this joy and this delight to people. People are going to be celebrating with Zachariah and Elizabeth. 
this long-awaited desire for them to be able to have a child has been heard. And so they're going to rejoice in that sense, just like I have a good friend here today for many, many years, been waiting, her and her husband, to get pregnant. And God heard that prayer and answered it. And we're celebrating with them. We're, We're excited for them in that. And yet, in the midst of that, there's something deeper that's going on. Because God is going to speak. And 400 years of silence, all of a sudden, God's going to send a prophet in John. And John's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke does such a great job of reminding us of the importance of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. How he's to lead and direct and to guide us, to be the advocate, the counselor, the comforter for us. But also how John is going to bring many people back to God. He's going to bring them back. He's going to say, it's time to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he's going to help them to change their mind and their direction about who God is. And it's really key because you've got to remember, Zechariah was a priest, and he was praying for a son or a child, maybe specifically a son, but he also was praying for the people of God to come back to God. He was praying for a Messiah to come. He was believing. And all of a sudden, he's getting this news. God is up to something. He is active. Something big is taking place, Zechariah. And I want you not to miss this, because how many years do you think he was praying? How many years? I don't know. But it was a very long time. And here's what we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth, that the language of longing is prayer. The language of longing is prayer. What are you longing for? What are you begging God to do? Are you begging God to meet you specifically with a financial need, with a health issue, with a job situation? Are you asking Him to open doors that only He can open right now? Are you at the point, like me maybe, where you're saying, God, I know you're up to something. Will you bring back America to you? The American church specifically. Not just our church, but the church as a whole. Will you bring us back to you in your kingdom ways? To come after you, to be about you and who you are. Because we need you. And we know that the first step to repentance for us is not only an acknowledgement and an awareness and a need that we recognize, but it's to say, hey, I see you for who you are. And when we repent, it opens the door to revival within us through us and around us. God is active and he's at work. But again, the language of longing is prayer. So how's your prayer life? How is your prayer life? And I know for some of us, prayer in the sense of doing it, we're like, oh, prayer, it's not my thing. It's hard for me. It's difficult for me. I have a hard time getting distracted. You know, when I'm praying, I'm thinking about all the stuff I have to do. Anybody can relate to that? Right? We, we all have different ways. And it's less about the way we're wired in that sense. Because it's important to note that each of us have a different way that we're wired up. And it's much more about are we faithfully going to Him in prayer, deepening our dependence. It's, again, not about perfection. But it is about coming before Him daily, regularly. And to say to Him, I need you to show up in this way. I'm asking you. I'm surrendered to you. I can't, but you can. I love you for who you are. I remember how faithful you are. And so part of what we've talked about, even 
throughout this time, those longings, those sadness, that the way you want to see God work and how faithful he is, if you'll take those two things together and tell him that, that's a great way to begin a prayer life with him or to deepen your prayer life with him. And as you pray, just to expect God to work in unexpected ways as you pray. Do you think Zechariah expected God to show up this way? I'm old, and we're going to see that next week, his response to this. <laughs> but in the midst of it, I want you to know God is at work. But part of the adventure of joining Jesus in what he has for us is to expect him to do the unexpected as we pray. This is the way he shows up. This is the way that he works. Because he wants to deepen our trust and our reliance on him. He wants to move us from self-reliance. Look what I can do on my own. And words and phrases like, I can take it from here, God. He wants us to have access not only to him, but he wants to have access to us. He wants us to be honest with our fears and our longings. Some of us here today, we're afraid to die. We're afraid of it. And I want you to know, he wants to know that. He wants to, to come near to that. Because the older you get, the more real that becomes and the more sobering it becomes. But he comes near to that. So again, again, will you let him come near to you? Because he's already here. But will you say, I'm giving you access. Instead of closing the door to you, will you open the door to him? Instead of pushing the chair in, will you pull the chair out so he can sit with you? Instead of when you go to your, on your drives, just blaring that music, that podcast, political radio, whatever you listen to, I'm going to turn that off. And just for a moment, acknowledge, Jesus, I believe you're here and you're at work. When you go out for a walk, maybe you take those AirPods out and you say, God, I just want to hear your voice. I'm desperate for you. I'm in need of you. Because he's at work. But again, expect God to work in unexpected ways as you pray. Let's pray together. Father, right now we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for how you're at work. We're thankful for the fact that you come near to us. And I thank you for Zachariah and Elizabeth. I thank you for their example I thank you for Christmas and that very first Christmas and how it reminds us that we are not alone, that you have come near to us in our joy and in our fear. And so right now, Jesus, we just want to give you access. And I pray for each of us today that we would just acknowledge who you are, but more than acknowledge that we would say yes to your invitation. To daily experience you, as my, my good friend Gary shared earlier, to daily let you in. To be honest about our, our purpose anxiety that we have. That we're afraid to be ordinary. But Lord, you show up in the ordinary. You showed up when Zachariah was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. Lord, you do that in our lives as well. Pray that we'd be people who would be so, so um, convinced and convicted of that, that we would trust you enough to be faithful to what it is that you're doing and calling us to.
including being honest with our longings and our sadness and how we want you to show up, including remembering how faithful you've been. Lord, we're grateful. And we're just thankful that we can call upon your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.